This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. It's Friday, so that means it's time to assemble the weekly news panel. Let's welcome in the panelists for today's show. We have Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Alex. And hello, Joita. Hello, everyone. So let's get started with our first topic, which is all about Canada's economic update. The federal government put forth their fall economic statement on Tuesday. The government is still projecting a $40 billion annual deficit. Finance Minister Chrystia Freeland did announce some new measures aimed at housing, as the federal government is earmarking $15 billion for low-cost loans to developers and $1 billion for affordable housing. The government is also expanding its decision to remove the GST charges off rental developments to include co-op rental housing. Minister Freeland understands that housing is a huge priority for people across the country. Housing is so connected to affordability for Canadians. And that is why our focus is supply, supply, supply. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was unimpressed by the uh, fiscal update. It does not meet the urgency of what Canadians are going through. It doesn't really meet their needs. And it's another example where Canadians are feeling really disappointed about the Liberals not meeting the urgency of what they're going through. And most of the money that they're promising is delayed for off into the future. And Conservative leader Pierre Polyev took aim at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the overall economy in his critique of the update. He promised to help the middle class. He has demolished the middle class, Mr. Speaker. That is the reality. Inflation, after hitting 40-year highs, is back on the move. The economy is now shrinking. And if you add in per capita terms, it is plummeting, Mr. Speaker. So, Joita, this was your topic, so we'll start with you on this, but what highlights from this statement jumped out to you? Well, I mean, as an overall picture of the statement, there wasn't anything there that was particularly surprising. It certainly continues in the theme of uh, the Liberal government wanting to address affordability for Canadians. We've certainly heard a lot said and done about that in the last little while. What we... Are, what it sort of is based on is an expectation that inflation will decline over the next year or two. So they are taking a fairly rosy view of the economy and hoping that things will get better. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's really worthwhile to note is that they are now winding up a lot of that pandemic spending. So not surprisingly, in in light of the pandemic, there was a great deal of spending from the federal government. They're now looking to wind down a lot of that and hoping that that's going to be one way in which they can balance the books. Uh, but they are running a pretty big deficit here, and they don't really have um, a definitive idea about when that de deficit is going to disappear. So uh, we will li likely talk more about the de deficit down the road. Um, but it is worth noting right off the hub that this 
whole economic statement does come with uh, costs attached and that there is a, a big deficit to go along with it. Uh, unsurprisingly, I was really interested in many of the housing announcements. That is the bulk of the economic statements where the, the housing announcements are really taking a front and center stage and putting a billion dollars towards affordable housing, including uh, public housing and nonprofit housing is a really significant step. Uh, mm. This is a government that acknowledges after many years of relying solely on the private sector to build housing, that government does have a role to play, in, especially in providing nonprofit and public sector options for housing. So a billion dollar commitment is not nothing. So that was a, a, an important highlight for me. In, a, um, in addition to that, though, uh, we also noticed that $300 million have been put towards co-op housing. And then you said, uh, you also talked about earlier, the removal of, uh, development, of, of development charges. So again, to just see the federal government getting back into building co-op housing after some 30 odd years is also very interesting to me. So many of the announcements around housing have been really interesting to note. Uh, I am a little disappointed to see that although they had some promises made around groceries, such as increasing the powers of the of the competition bureau or um you know making more of an investigation happen it, it doesn't seem like there's anything concrete there on the grocery file and i know it's something mm -hmm. we've talked about yeah. at nauseam i know everybody else has talked about it at nauseam so i i know myself i've said we should really bring in maybe some form of price control um or some kind of price stabilization but obviously no one's listening to me so that wasn't there but the the housing announcements uh, are really worthwhile and i think do form the basis of this fall economic statement and that would be the major highlight for me absolutely michelle what about you what what was the biggest highlights or or uh aspects of of this statement that jumped out to you yeah, uh, well, Joita and I are sharing a brain here that I was very struck by their willingness to embrace different kinds of housing models, uh, which is not something we've historically seen. Uh, but to be honest, the biggest aspect that jumped out at me is how much a lot of this funding has been kicked down the road. Um, I grant you this was a very tricky political issue for this government to spin. They're under pressure on so many fronts, all very closely tied to the big themes of this fiscal update. There was lots of talk even within the statement itself about how the inflationary pressures that Canadians are facing are also being brought to bear on the government. So that uh, limits their their spending or that's that's the message coming out of the update. But the vast majority of the, prom of the promises that were made here have been pushed down the road until 2025, which is when we know the NDP's confidence and supply agreement with the Liberals will run out. So it's like basically it's being kicked off to the next election, and that's really my biggest takeaway: is that any of um, the the vast majority of the new measures actually won't really fall um, under this government's purview in, in all likelihood. Yeah, that's exactly what my biggest takeaway was. That there was a lot of positives. There's a lot of hope. You know, the, as Joita laid out really well, it's the investment in affordable housing and 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 co-op housing and 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 really putting that emphasis on it. But as you said, Michelle. This has all been like these uh, this funding won't come into effect if if it ever does, but it's planned to start in 2025, 2026. So this really becomes a in my mind, it's more of a setup to the next election in the next uh, couple of years. It's about, OK, how do we shrink the deficit? How do we lower this number that we get ourselves in a more favorable position when we do have to go into the next election cycle? And then we can point to these new programs that are coming into effect now. And we, we have something to really put forth as our uh, 
as our, our platform in terms of housing. But I mean, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. And I think it's these are programs that need to get started right away. If, if you really want to see an impact within this decade, there are things that need to be done now to really address housing or else, you know, you, you get to 2025, you get to 2026, and we're still in that same position, even though these programs will have started. Uh, Joita, you talked about the deficit. I, I want to get your, your uh, thoughts a bit more on it and, and dive a bit deeper into your thoughts on the deficit and how the Liberals are planning on handling the deficit. Well, according to the Liberals, it's going to increase next year and then gradually decrease over the next six years. Uh, again, I mean, I, I suppose you have to give them a little bit of grace because there was a worldwide pandemic and the economic consequences of the pandemic, which means that every nation across the board is dealing with the with an increase in their deficit and with economic consequences flowing from the pandemic. And at least according to Christian Freeland, um, in comparison to other G7 countries, Canada is handling its deficit relatively well and our deficit is going down. So I suppose if you would look for a silver lining, that would be, uh, that would be, you know, one of, that that would be a positive way to look at it. But it doesn't change the reality that as long as we have this deficit, it does prevent us from moving forward on some of the other pledges made in this economic statement with the haste and urgency that I think both of you have rightly identified. So it is a problem, but I think it's a problem that isn't unique to Canada and a certain amount of <laughs> leniency has to be offered in light of the fact that there was a pandemic and we're all dealing with its aftermath. Oh, absolutely. And then the post-pandemic and in inflation that just rocked the global markets and the fact now that we are spending so much money just to service the debt to try to get it under control is certainly something that has to be uh, taken into account. Michelle, what are your thoughts on on the deficit and, and the debt that uh, we're, Canada is dealing with and, and uh, the Liberals plan to address it? I'm going to warn you all that my my take on this uh, might lack some nuance. This is not my area of expertise. <laughs> and honestly, a bunch of it's coming from a bit of cynicism. I think, I can't say in my lifetime, because I was alive when the Christian government managed to balance the books, but certainly in my professional career, every single fiscal update from any government of any stripe that I've ever heard says something similar like, the deficit's going to increase next year and then start to ramp down. <laughs> so I... I'm a little, I, I don't know what to make of this kind of messaging most of the time because it's literally what I hear with every single type of statement that comes out. Obviously, it would be good to have a path to controlling the deficit, but I, I also want to acknowledge that this particular government is facing a lot of pressure to spend because a lot of what is being faced in terms of housing supply does require investment. So you can't, this is one where the government has chosen a position on which to focus. Uh, some governments, based on ideology, might choose to tackle the deficit more aggressively. This government's made a different choice. And uh, a lot of the reaction, I think, has kind of fallen along partisan lines in terms of responding to that. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think that's very well put, because I, even I can think back to the previous fall economic statements from this this uh, liberal government as well, and it'd be the same thing. Oh, well, the, the deficit will increase this year, uh, year and the next year, and then we will bring it back into control. It seems to be just a recurring theme of any And I can't stress government. this enough. Different provincial governments, liberal governments, yeah. conservative governments, NDP governments, they all say the same thing with this kind of stuff. Exactly. 
Exactly. Even even the uh, uh, the conservative uh, conservative plans, as as you say, it's uh, all parties. Whenever they release a uh, fiscal update, it, it contains that, and it's important nuance to include. Now, Juita, you you did mention there were some things that uh, you you felt could have been addressed a bit more to go a bit deeper in some of the things that you wish was more highly profiled in this uh, update. Well, I mean, there's a few things, right? I mean, I already talked about the the groceries um, and the fact that mm -hmm. the ballooning costs of groceries are not being addressed uh, through anything. I mean, there are a couple of vague promises, but there's nothing really concrete in the fall economic statement. I think that's something that's going to get a lot of Canadians shaking their head in disappointment. Um, and then, of course, we also have um, some very vague promises around eliminating or reducing bank fees. Again, nothing too concrete on that one either. Uh, but again, the big one is the criticism from Jagmeet Singh and the federal NDP about the fact that many of these promises are being, you know, made for far in the future, at least from the point of view of struggling Canadians. 2026 is admittedly a very long ways away for them. So there's that criticism leveled against the fall economic statement that it's just not doing enough uh, quickly enough. And then if you turn to some specific groups, uh, certain environmental groups have, have called out the budget for not really doing enough for to promote alternative sources of, of clean energy and that they're promoting carbon capture technology, which obviously from the point of view of these environmental groups works in favor of oil producing, uh, of oil producers. And also, and this one I, I actually have a lot of sympathy for, a number of environmental groups have also said that this federal false economic statement is pretty slim on providing details for any kind of uh, transit solutions as a response to climate change and environmental degradation. That one I have a lot of sympathy for because a number of people are struggling right now with inadequate mm. transit, whether you're in urban centers or in rural parts of Canada, especially in rural parts of Canada, actually. And that was an urgent need. And this was a lost opportunity to really do something concrete, even if it was to make a promise that they would fulfill down the road. But to hear very little said about it is disappointing. Um, I feel like you'll forgive me for stating the obvious, but I always feel like we could be doing more for people with disabilities. And I uh, admittedly mm -hmm. didn't find anything in the budget that was specifically meant to support people with disabilities, but I will be, I'll be happy to be corrected on that, but apparently there's no <laughs> correction needed. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things. And, um, you know, the, the other piece about the housing that was really interesting, which kind of slipped my mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the, um, wait, Federation of Canadian Municipalities yeah. brought it up. I'm going to go there. The I'm going to go there. <laughs> oh, you're going to go there. Oh. Infrastructure. <laughs> okay, then go there. <laughs> Infrastructure. Infrastructure mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that's missing, is that all this talk of new housing building and new housing development, uh, municipalities are sounding the alarm, that, and, and rightly so, that you cannot have housing expansion without infrastructure expansion. And any of the measures that have been announced so far are meant to spur housing construction, but there has been no investment made in ramping up infrastructure around, uh, you know, whether it's schools or, or neighborhood sewage or roads or so, all kinds of in municipal services that are required to, to support the new residents and houses that will be there. That's a really glaring omission. Uh, Joita is quite right. The Federation of Canadian Municipalities put out a pretty impassioned statement, actually, sort of making that case. Um, and that's, 
probably the biggest area that's just been completely overlooked. And we're already starting to see some of the repercussions of that lack of infrastructure. Uh, speaking mm. with friends several times in recent weeks, talked about the condition of schools, the, the crowding within schools. Uh, we've talked about hospital crowding at great length on this panel before. Um, we're already seeing indications that the, the existing infrastructure is not up to the task. And that's before any of these new houses have been built. Right. And and that's going to be something where the, the issue is just going to continue to compound as we, we make our way down the road. Uh, Michelle, I'll start with you on this one, though. Do you, do you think that this fall economic statement moved the needle one way or the other in terms of uh, the, how the public are viewing this Liberal Party? You know, the polling is not really in their favor right now. Do you, no, do you see this economic not. statement? No. Not in the least, no. I, I no. If anything, I, I think it will uh, not help their polling numbers. But to be honest, I think the bulk of people who don't support the government, for them, I, I suspect this fiscal statement will have just sort of reconfirmed where they already stand. The, the, mm -hmm. the popular perception of this government nowadays is one that does not take meaningful action. A fiscal statement that pushes the bulk of the new announcements down the road by two or three years won't do a whole lot to dispel that notion, I don't think. Uh, Joita pointed out the fact that there hasn't been much by way of concrete action on things like groceries. This is That would be an area where I think Canadians would be looking for concrete action that would really hit them directly in their wallets. They don't have any of that. We don't have any new rules on how they're planning to strengthen the Competition Bureau. That's something that they've talked about. It was teased again in this statement, but no real details. So again, Canadians looking for some relief on anything from grocery prices to their cell phone bills uh, aren't finding that right now. So I don't really see this statement doing much to, certainly nothing to help their cause, potentially mm -hmm. something to hurt it, but by and large, I suspect people will be unmoved. And, and Joey, the last word on this goes to you. Do you see this uh, having any impact on, on how the public is viewing the Liberal government right now? I agree with Michelle. I don't think it's going to have uh, too much of an impact one way or the other. Those who support the Liberal government will continue to do so, and those who are opposed will continue to do so. I don't think this particular statement is going to change hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. I think uh, they're just trying not to sort of slide any further down in the polls at the moment. They're just hoping to stick to status quo. Uh, in the lead up to the next election, I think the more interesting question for me anyways is to really think through uh, whether rather than trying to shore up promises, they might want to take a long, hard look at Justin Trudeau as the leader of the Liberal Party. Mm -hmm. um, he's been the face of the party and the Prime Minister for, of Canada for many years now, going back to 2015. So I think if the Liberals really want to make... Um, um, you know, try and improve some of those polling numbers, they're going to have to consider whether a different leader might be needed to take them to the next election. And if they are thinking about a different leader, whether Justin Trudeau is asked to step down or he chooses to step down, which, you know, he hasn't said that he will, but, you know, he may change his mind, uh, then you might be looking at a leadership con contest fairly soon because a new leader will need at least a year to acclimatize themselves and, and get underway for uh, the election that we're supposed to have in 2025. So I don't think the fall economic statement is going to be the thing that people look back on when it comes election time to, you know, really reflect on this government's legacy. Um, but I do think in addition to some of the things that Michelle has pointed out, that Justin Trudeau himself as the leader of the Liberal Party is going to be, um, you know, is that that's going to be where a lot of people actually um, make their decisions about whether they continue to support the Liberals or change their vote. 
Very good. We'll leave the conversation there, but coming up after the break, we talk about more polls because a new poll suggests the majority of Canadians support exemptions on carbon tax pricing for home energy. Michelle and Juita will share their thoughts. You're watching the Now News panel on AMI. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.